welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich, and I have an older friend here with me today, Rachel Tidd from Wild Learning. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on with you and have a chat. Yeah, so we've got a history here. We Mm -hmm. connected at sort of the foundation for both of us. We were kicking off some online retail with t-shirts and you were kicking off your curriculum and wild learning. And we connected through that. And so it's so cool. And my kids still wear those shirts that they they won. (laughs) They were covered in mud and they they won the photo contest. So that's so cool. I love that. So we've been connected for years at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to see what you're doing. Always watching on social media and seeing the kids taking their schoolwork and their learning outside in all of these different creative ways. And now you have a book. So congratulations. Thank you. It's very exciting. I can't even believe it's real, but it is real and it's it's out in the world. It is a beautiful book. I mean, just absolutely stunning and a robust book. That's what I took out of it as I read through. It is just filled with all sorts of ideas that classroom teachers could use, that homeschool families could use, that nature groups could use, games and activities and ideas. And just like I said, robust was the word that came to mind because I mean, you get your money's worth out of that one. So I'd love for people to hear your story and how you ended up here. Yeah. So like you said, I'm Rachel Tidd and I run Wild Learning, which is primarily a curriculum company. And I started out as a special education teacher, elementary, um, spent many years teaching in the classroom. And then I decided to stay home with my own two children. I have two boys. They are now 10 and 13, which is kind of crazy mm-hmm. because I started this outdoor learning journey when my kids were in forest preschool. Wow. And if you don't, if your listeners aren't familiar with forest preschool, it's preschool all outside. They don't really go inside ever, mm-hmm. all weather. And it's a lot of free play. It's it's really lovely. Um, and my both of my kids loved it and thrived in completely different ways. They're very different kids. But my youngest in particular at the time had a lot of sensory needs. And, you know, we had him evaluated and the teachers were kind of confused. Um, it seemed confused to me about why I was pursuing that. And it was because all of his needs, his sensory needs, he had a lot of input, sensory input needs were being met outside. And I was already homeschooling his older brother. This is my youngest. And I knew if I was going to be successful in teaching him basic skills like reading and math, that I was going to have to, that I should anyway, figure out how to utilize the outdoors to kind of meet his needs so that he would better able to learn. Remember, I'm a special educator. So I'm that was mm-hmm. like my line of thinking. But there was nothing out there um, other than science, you know, like a few, you know, like a, a right. topical lesson or lots of science. Yeah. But what about basic math and foundational academic skills? There just wasn't anything. So I started playing around using obviously my background and a friend urged me to write it down. And I did. And that became wild math. Um, And I did K through five grade levels. Mm -hmm. And then I moved on to reading and my son also has dyslexia. And so I really made sure that wild reading was a solid reading program that would meet all kids needs, whether they had Mm -hmm. dyslexia or not. So, and then the book. So it's really kind of just evolved. Yeah, just just organic growth through your own experience. I think you and I relate on that too. And I I just love it. I mean, I have seen for years, you're just outside with sticks and you're making these grids and collecting a hundred of this and all the number sense and all of those things. And it's so interesting to think that you could take what you would do indoors and just move it outdoors and it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to have a ton of materials. In fact, in your materials list, it's like basically the same things you would need indoors. It's a clipboard, right. you know, it's chalk. I mean, these are things you have indoors. It's scissors, it's tape, it's rulers, it's measuring things. And these tend to be the types of things that you already have indoors too, but you're throwing in some natural elements. Or you find the materials like rocks yes. or acorns or shells or whatever is local to you. I use what's local to me, but you're certainly encouraged to use what's local and abundant where you are. Mm-hmm. That's so fun. 
how fun you find your own materials. Yeah. A lot of people ask, I'm going to back up on one topic because yeah. a lot of people ask about forest preschool and mm-hmm. they're trying to decide. These are big decisions when they your are. kids are small and they matter. That's why they're big decisions. And so it's tricky. What led you to the forest preschool to begin with? So I am a big believer in um, play-based and child-led, especially for early childhood. Um, And so I was specifically looking for something along that lines. And I really like that Scandinavian outdoor all this, all the time, learning and connecting with the natural world. I just felt like that was such a rich experience that I wanted my kids to have. Sometimes homeschoolers don't really go the preschool route. I felt like, well, one, it was nice to have a few hours break. Preschool here is usually a couple hours in the morning. And um, it was nice for them just to have that experience of being with other kids out in nature and, you know, with other adults and learning from them. And it was fantastic for both of them. I had one really, really shy kid mm-hmm. and he just blossomed. And then I had, uh, you know, my sensory seeking child who had to tons of energy and needed, you know, to burn off that energy. And I didn't always have that energy to, you know, to take him out. And so that was really nice to have that scheduled outdoor time. Yeah. Um, That's the other thing. If you want your kids outside more, doing something like forest preschool can really help you and your kids get more hours if you're counting your hours. And um, (laughs) it definitely is great to have, you know, if they're going three times a week and they're there for three hours a week, you know, that's definitely adds up over time. Yeah. And especially since kids aren't outside as much naturally anymore in the neighborhoods, then that gives you a place to start. And you know that every week your kids are going to have social time with other kids and it's built into your life. So that's cool. I think that will help a lot of people because a lot of people ask about forest preschool. This whole thing is counterintuitive. So playing is counterintuitive because it seems like it's nothing, but really it's everything. All the books, all the research, they say that. So playing outside and learning outside in particular seems like, I think a lot of people would say, well, it seems like that would be really distracting. But in your book, you talk about that actually the opposite is true. So can you talk about attention and focus and what happens when kids go outside to learn? Yeah. So there's been some interesting research. um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it is in the book around attention and motivation in going outside. And so there's been a study, there was a good study that I really like, and I quote a lot. So they took the kids, they took the exact same lesson, and they took it outside and did the exact same lesson they would have done outside, inside, Mm -hmm. outside. They didn't do anything except go outside. And they found that their attention increased and their engagement increased. And not only that, and I love this part because this is my this is my thing. When they came back inside, that effect lasted into the next lesson. So if we just think about not even doing anything like fancy, like something, an activity that is special and unique to being outside or something from wild learning, but we just took our exact same lesson and did it outside or our exact same read aloud and did it outside, we would get a lasting effect of attention and engagement in the next thing that we did. Whether we're homeschoolers or teachers, I think that's pretty powerful. It doesn't cost anything. You don't need any extra materials, but attend, you know, with so many attention issues and all that, also, the attention issue, if you never go outside and then you go outside, you have that that newness effect where mm-hmm. that's often why they're distracted. Um, it's not mm. that it's more distracting outside. It's just new. So if you continually go outside, the newness wears off and then it's, it just becomes routine. And so it's less distracting. You know, in the beginning of the year, when you're trying to get a new routine down, it takes a while to practice the new routine, whether you're a teacher or a homeschooler or just in life. And so you have to remember that you're going to need to practice it a little bit. You know, this is the normal. We go outside and we do this and then we can do this or we do, you know, we play first and then we come and do this or whatever Mm -hmm. you uh, decide. It's such a mindset shift. I remember in elementary school, going outside for lessons twice. And yeah. I I just, but I remember that. And it's so interesting to think about that entire elementary school five years and to think, well, what else do I really remember? Not much, but right. I definitely remember the two times that 
we went outside with the teacher. One was just to read. It was for read aloud. It probably in the spring, the weather was nice. We went and sat under a shady tree. And then one time we went in the back because our school had a pretty big piece of property. So it was like blacktop and playground and then just, you know, grass up to a fence line, went for a ways. And we went and looked for certain types of leaves and I think it was like eggs that were on them or anyway, we were trying to collect something. And I just so distinctly remember those times. And I, and I think it's an interesting thought for teachers, any educator, anyone working with children to look at how they can incorporate this on a somewhat regular basis. So one of the things that you talk about, we could start with is how do you find the where? Like you talk about what what's called zones of accessibility and you give yeah. some great ideas about where it could be, even if you're in an urban environment, it doesn't really matter what where your school is located, you give a lot of different ideas. Yeah, so a lot of people have this idea that you can only do this in a supernatural area where if you're out in the country or in the forest and it's it's really not true, there's opportunities for learning wherever you might be located. And I, I do kind of break it down in the book with zones of accessibility and the zones meaning the ones, things that are closest to you are the easiest for us to access, like our yard or um, our schoolyard, Mm -hmm. or the next zone would be our neighborhood. And then Mm -hmm. farther afield would be anywhere that, you know, you have to drive or take a bus or whatever. And so I kind of broke it down. You know, a lot of nature books break things down seasonally. um, And I really decided that we should be breaking it down by what's easiest to access. And then if we have a little more time and planning, we can go out to the neighborhood and go um, even farther out, right? Because they all offer different things and we can do different things in different places. You know, Mm -hmm. and if you're in an urban area and like you have a paved sidewalk or stoop or schoolyard, there's a ton of things you can do with chalk and games and Uh things like that. I have a ton of them in the book. And then the neighborhood... I actually live out in the country and we will go to the neighborhood just for like into town, what we call town. It's like a Mm -hmm. small city ish um, for these um, experiences because we don't have them. So towns have in cities in streets Mm -hmm. have lots of environmental print, lots of real life um, examples of numbers and words and signs and using these things. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can use them to teach phonics. You can use them to teach multiplication. There's tons of shapes. There's arrays. There's a lot of even planted flowers and trees. And I have a lot of in the neighborhood chapter about neighborhood trees, because neighborhood trees are often different and more diverse and purposely planted in Mm. our towns and cities. And sometimes there's even an urban forester who's in charge of those. And they can be fun people to seek out to learn more about your neighborhood trees. And Mm -hmm. they're often not necessarily trees that are native. So it can expand your tree knowledge. Like I know New York City has a ton of ginkgo trees, which are not native in New York State. And um, I had never seen them until I went and moved there. And I was like, what Mm -hmm. is this weird tree? You know, because I I like trees. So I noticed Mm -hmm. these things. And then I learned, you know, it was ginkgo and that there's, you know, a male ginkgo tree and a female ginkgo tree. And some have fruit and some don't. And it's super interesting, all from just a street tree, right? So um, there's a ton of learning to be had, whether you live in the neighborhood, whether you live in, you know, New York City, or you live in the country. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's something that we talk about quite often, because the common consensus, the common thought is, what do you do in the city? That's what people ask the most often. And even I had a bit on the Today Show a year or two back and Dylan Dreyer, who did the interview, we were inside because it was during Zoom. She was in her apartment and she scanned her computer to say, well, what do I do? I'm in this apartment. I'm a couple floors up. Well, all down her street are these gorgeous flowering trees. It was in the spring. And so that tends to be the question is, well, oh, I'm in the city. But to your point, the city offers things that the country does not. And you talk about going on all these walks and looking for literacy and write the room is something that's done inside, but you could do that outside, especially if you're in an area that has signage and has different types of architectural things to look at. And I love that your book has so many pictures in it because it really shows you some different ideas of what you could be looking for when you're out walking through your city or neighborhood and things just to notice. And that's fun. Yes. 
Yes. And once you start looking, you you start really noticing and your kids do too. Um, I've done this with groups of students in our homeschool co-op and in, in a math class I taught. We went out and in, into our the neighborhood around the co-op and one, they just got so excited. Like every math, you know, multiplication array that they saw and every, um, you know, examples of multiples and shapes that we were looking for, they just like, we're really, they just started seeing them everywhere and they just got really excited. We were recording them on just a piece of paper on a clipboard. It wasn't anything, I don't do anything fancy, um, you know, and it was just so fun to see their engagement, right? Their attention, they were connecting multiplication with real life. I was teaching a class on multiplication Mm -hmm. and funny thought, right? Me teaching class on multiplication. (laughs) And so of course I took them outside, but it was Mm -hmm. so funny. They're like, we're going outside. You know, they don't know who I am or what I do. And yeah, going outside. I'm like, we're going outside. Get ready. Here we go. And, you know, we didn't even go far, but we found so many window panes that were raised and flowers that were multiples and um, you know, it, it was, we didn't even make it around the block really. So mm. you won't be able to stop and it connects to real life. So it makes yeah. it more meaningful and more memorable. Like you were saying mm-hmm. to know what array is and can think about, oh, that was that array that we saw on the city hall with the 12 right. by 12 window panes. It just, yeah. it, it more than just straight multiplication memorization. Yeah. yeah. And it, I would imagine then that sticks because, you know, we started in the past couple of years looking for mushrooms. And mm-hmm. before that, we never, I never saw a mushroom ever. We go on all these hikes. I never noticed mushrooms, but then when you start to look for them, now we see them all the time. The kids are always pointing them out, different colors. So it's the same thing. Then when your kids are driving in the car, you're going from place to place, they're going to notice that stuff, whether you talk about it or don't talk about it. And it gives them something to look forward to. So I love that. So no matter where you are and you talk about the zones of accessibility, you're talking about, hey, sit on the shady side of your school building, sit on the cement, sit on the stairs. If there's some picnic tables outside for lunch, you could use those. You could sit in the tennis court if you you have sports fields. I mean, there's so many different ideas here. I think sometimes we get hung up on making this perfect outdoor classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to be, I wrote that chapter kind of giving people permission to just use whatever they had. They don't need to do anything or spend any money. What they need to do is go out and see what's there. You can yeah. sit on the, the steps. Um, I have, you know, we've done this before on the church steps on the corner. You can just sit in the street. You can sit in the grass. You know, you don't need special outdoor chairs and benches and stools, etc., to do outdoor learning. And I, right. I really, a lot of people get really obsessed with making that outdoor environment or the school garden. You don't need a school garden for outdoor learning. There's a lot out there. It's great if you do, but most people don't. And the other thing is we kind of mentioned the materials. Some people like to prep all the materials ahead of time. And I really, really counsel people not to do that because a lot of the excitement, engagement, and the learning is the kids constructing those materials themselves and finding those materials themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, like we teach place value with place value sticks So we gather sticks and make groups of 10 and rubber band them together. Mm -hmm. And if you make those for them, then they don't get to construct that part of the learning. So Mm -hmm. there's so much learning and collecting all of these sticks, then figuring out how to organize them, grouping them by a hundred and say, I say, make 10 groups of sticks or make collect a hundred sticks and group them by 10. They have to figure out how to organize all the information. And there's Mm -hmm. so much mathematical thinking. They're constantly, well, I've done five. How many more do I need to do? I've done five bundles of 10, right? So they're adding and subtracting and they don't even know it. But if you did that for them and just gave them the steps, kind of like we give kids base 10 blocks, right? Plastic manipulatives to teach the same concept. But this is making them make it themselves. And then they're building that understanding while they're making it and they don't even know. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Mm -hmm. And then they're getting that sensory input that they need, which is very much lacking. That's another aspect. Mm -hmm. They're out touching the sticks, grabbing the things, bending over, using their body, all that type of stuff. So that's helping in other ways. And just going outside is a sensory experience in itself. So you have wind and temperature, you have sunlight, you have smells, you also the rules change. Um, what's accepted outside is different than what's accepted inside most of the time, right? You can move bigger, you can run around more, you can jump, you can be louder, right? Mm -hmm. Just everything is a little bit more relaxed. And just the rules are a little less strict in most cases. Um, So that can really help make learning more accessible. Yeah, even just the ways in which you can move in terms of through the plane of space, just crouching and rolling and bending and all of those types of things that in a classroom setting doesn't really work well. You're knocking things over. There's not the space for it. And kids' bodies are designed for them. Or even home. Absolutely mm-hmm. home too. I mean, we had yes. and stuff in home, but there is still a limit. Um, yeah. Usually my husband was working from home upstairs. Like there's a <laughs> limit to the volume and the craziness that can yeah. happen in your living room versus mm-hmm. what was my usual response? If you want to do that crazy stunt, please go outside to do <laughs> right. said stunt, right? And so it's an interesting thought. And so that also makes it easier for kids of all kinds of learning needs to learn mm-hmm. because you're just relaxing those rules. And we do a lot with um, alternative seating and like different kinds of seating in classrooms to like mm. allow kids to move around and be comfortable instead of just sitting at a desk. But right. like when you're outside, that's already kind of implicit because you can sit however you want. You can sit cross-legged, you can lay on the ground, you can hang from a tree, you can sit in a tree. Like it's not so engineered, right? It's much more natural and just already there. Yeah. I love that you're giving these and it is very, like you say, when you say, if people haven't seen your stuff, when you say, look, this is like base level, you do not have to put a lot of extra effort into this. I mean, this is the absolute truth because I'm always looking at your stuff and you know, you'll make the number four out of some sticks and it'll say four. I mean, it's just 
it's very simplistic, but also very impactful. And then it's helping with their eyesight. That's one of the things that Katie Bowman talks about. Yes, she's from Nutritious Movement and mm -hmm. um, she's a biomechanist. And she has talked about like, you know, our eyes never relax. Uh, until we step outside because there's that long range of field, field of vision. And so just, I think that we underestimate kind of like how you said, going outside in and of itself is a sensory experience and it does so much for us and for our kids in all sorts of ways probably that we don't even totally know. So it can be very simple. Take your read alouds outside and learn some of these things. I mean, but you have very specifics. You have different math lessons. I mean, the book has this sort of macro view of how to get started, but then it also has so many ideas for learning this. How do you learn that? How do you learn this particular thing of fractions? And then how do you learn symmetry and all these different ideas plus games. So that's all in there for specific ideas that anyone who's working with children could use. Word ladders, word graffiti, 10 frames. I mean, it's storyboards. There's so much in there that people can use. Yeah. So I really tried to focus on academic skills, like basic academic skills, because everybody, it's, it's almost a form of equity. It is a form of equity that everyone be able to read and do math, right? Um, and so we really need to, everyone, all kids need to have that solid foundation before we can do really cool project-based, you know, science project or whatever. We need to learn how to read, but we shouldn't have to stay inside to do those things. And so I made sure sure that I really covered and you know that's what my wild math and wild reading curriculums also do is they cover all those typical basic math or reading phonics writing skills that everybody has to learn and everyone has to teach like multiplication division um you know comprehension phonics you name it but how to do them outside because for teachers and parents whoever is doing the instruction i didn't want to have like a whole new curriculum necessarily um i wanted mm -hmm. to show how they could teach what they're already teaching be it addition or 10 frames or whatever, but do the same thing outside. So without a worksheet, usually um, sometimes they record what they're doing or can record or do what's on the worksheet outside. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to show them how they could do what they're already teaching, that it's not yeah. a brand new thing. It's just thinking about it differently so that yeah. you can kind of capitalize on those benefits of the outdoor learning that we talked about right. and, you know, the intention, engagement, plus, you know, health benefits of being outside, eyesight, movement. There's so mm -hmm. much social, emotional, just like mental health sure. that all are improved, but you don't need a whole new curriculum. You don't need a special time of only doing it in say science, which is very typical you know, spend most of our instructional hours, especially in the elementary level on math and reading in particular reading. So if we could allocate some of those minutes and use them for outdoor learning, we can really make a bigger impact and yeah. remedy some of these issues that we are grappling with in the the classroom, like hyperactivity yeah. and, you know, energy and attention and mental health. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, information. I don't know if I've talked about it on here. I speak at homeschool conferences, so I talk about it there. But John Taylor Gatto was this teacher from New York, and he was the teacher of the year. He was there for 30 years, and he wrote some really interesting books about time in the classroom. But one of the things that he said was that when the kids are at the right age and stage, and this is, I would imagine, more so for neurotypical kids, but when kids are at the right age and stage, that it only takes 50 hours for them to become functionally literate so that they can have this basis of math, reading, and writing so that they could learn anything they ever wanted to learn. And he says it's very well documented and very well researched that it doesn't take all that much time. So it's interesting to hear you say, well, can we take some of these minutes from the classroom that are inside? and invest them outside, yes, the time should be there, especially if elementary school is focused on math and reading and you got five years to do it, or maybe six if you include kindergarten or seven if your thing goes to sixth grade, you've got a lot of time. And so I think they just, you know, you have to make the decision to trust it. And right. the research is abundant that I think we can trust it. And you just give the ideas of what does it look like? So let's go through some examples. So. I really like the examples of, I remember learning to read, right? And you would have like an, A-N, and then you would put plan or can, or uh, I don't know what that's called. It's like uh, families or 
Word families, usually. Word families. Yeah. Word families. Okay. Well, you could do that. You have some different ideas of how you do that outside. Why don't you tell a couple of those? Yeah. So um, one of the one things I like to do are with sound boxes. Um, and these are also called Alconin boxes, but they are just, I draw them with chalk outside usually. I mean, that's, that's my base, you know, and it's a box and you make a box for each sound that's in a word. So if we did can, there are three sounds. There's the k, a, and n, and so I would draw a rectangle and divide it into three boxes. And I would tell the child or show them a picture or um, say the word and have them write the sounds in the boxes. So each mm -hmm. box can only have one sound. So if it's a digraph like SH, you would put SH in one box because it makes one sound. What's another one? What's another one? That's one sound. One sound, TH. Okay. So yeah, and try to make sure that you're not adding vowels to your sounds. A lot of us mm -hmm. will do like b instead of b, right? So we're okay. adding a vowel and that's kind of not, you don't want to do that because it's you're adding sounds to that, right? And it can, it can uh, then that's when you see kids putting vowels all over the place, right? Because right. they're adding these sounds that they're hearing because we're yeah. exaggerating sounds. So you just kind of have to be careful of that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so you use these boxes, you draw the chalk and you can use, them to practice um, writing out those sounds and breaking up words is a really into their components like that is a really important skill for kids to be able to do um, mm -hmm. in their practice learning to read. Yeah. But again, all you need is chalk, right? I also right. like to use plastic, <laughs> plastic, um, because they're water plastic magnetic letters. I use them outside because they're waterproof. I have the fancy wooden letters like the Montessori letters, which mm -hmm. I love and I do use outside. However, the plastic ones can be used in the rain, right. they can be used in the snow. You don't have to worry about them. And so I use I, you can also put those letters right in the box. So if your kid has trouble or difficulty writing um, or the handwriting trips them up, this is a you can use those letters um, mm. in or reading to kind of circumvent that writing. Because when you add writing, you're adding another layer of right. Um, skills, right? Writing has is it pulls on so many different skills. You've got small motor, right? You've got letter formation. You have to think about what you're writing beforehand. You got to think about what the shape of that letter is. And all of that is taking away from the spelling in, of the word or the sounding out of the word, right? Whatever you're focusing on. Um, so you can, that's an easy way to kind of skip over that part. Not that you're going to ignore writing altogether, but if your goal in the moment is just to focus on the reading skill, you can think about what is tripping my child up and you can play around with that and see what yeah. works. Yeah. And all of the subjects, this gives an opportunity, to, like you write in the book, to ease up on the writing demands. Like if you're trying to learn how to tell time, you'll have like this array of rocks, you know, with sticks and, you know, it's so cool. So it's easing up on the writing demands and it's bringing in all of this different movement to set the clock up. How fun is that? So with on the rocks, you know, sometimes you'll have letters or you'll have numbers. And with the word families, I always like the ideas of the rocks. So you could take the same thing and have Anne right as a as a rock and then have all the different letters or the digraphs, yes. <laughs> digraphs yeah. that come in like front i play a game with that that's kind of it's called change a letter game mm -hmm. where you have a set of directions so if you're starting with can the direction might be change one letter and make the word pan and they have to change right. the word the letters to make the pan and it kind of keeps going and it it can get like really crazy adding endings and you know yeah. the whole thing's changing the vowel yeah. um, change it to pen. yeah well and interesting too that when you have letters on a rock and something that or a leaf i know you'll do the same thing with leaves cut the leaf in half and you'll have word families but then when you know if you're turning it upside down or different ways your p can become a b or a d or all these you know depending on which way it's turned so all of that is really cool for kids and probably gives them a lot to think about and sort of to sort through in their minds rather than just writing on a piece of paper. Hands-on multi-sensory instruction that we're so often trying to artificially do. I mean, not that this isn't artificially, there are not plastic letters just hanging around in the forest, but um, the activities are, are, ready, are designed to be multi-sensory and hands-on. And so that element 
um, instead of just straight in a workbook or, you know, filling out something or, you know, doing flashcards or something or math, you know, it's been proven to make those pathways in your brain stronger and Mm -hmm. more efficient and faster. Yeah, I think it's interesting then from a parent's perspective or a teacher's perspective that when you do these things, I think then you look for literacy opportunities and for math opportunities more when you're just out and about living life. And that happens a lot that you can see. We do that with our kids like that. Oh, that sign starts with the letter of your name and that type of thing. And you just sort of see that there's learning opportunities everywhere, not just in the four walls of a classroom. So I even just from that, it really opens up your mind. Even you've got a picture of kids sitting in a a cemetery. (laughs) They're learning stuff. Cemeteries are so overlooked for learning opportunities. (laughs) They're full of numbers, history, names, right? There's like People usually from different wars and time periods. And what's the oldest thing you can find? And what's the earliest thing? What's the oldest person you can find, right? And there's all kinds of math they have to do over and over and over to figure that out. And, you know, how old was this person? And then you can even take it farther. Like, let's go research this particular Mm -hmm. person. Or why does this person have such a giant monument? Like, who are they, you know? That's a lot there. And most of us have a cemetery somewhere nearby that you can kind of utilize that and you can compare different ones. Like this is the newer one. How are they different? Like what's the oldest one here? What's the newest one here? And then you're kind of making almost like a timeline and you're placing in your brain. It's it's making it more relevant, right? We're using the math subtraction to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, how old this person was or whatever. And yeah. so it, it's more meaningful and people just don't think about that graveyard over there. I could be doing something with it. Um, and kids actually find them kind of cool. They are kind of mm-hmm. cool. They're kind of weird, but they're kind of cool. They're in, who knows what you'll find in a graveyard near you? I mean, I, I've been to, <laughs> but, um, they're, they're different, always different. And some are super old and, uh, I don't know. Who knows so, what you'll find Rachel? <laughs> I, I no, I mean, there could be You're like, right. Freshly done. Gra- I mean, kids love this kind of thing. So that, it can, you know, you can do a whole writing thing about who these people were. If it's yeah, like, or what their story who, have been who they might be. Sure. Yep. <laughs> but it's like, do you ever have these experiences as a parent where you're like, did I really just say cemeteries are so overlooked for learning opportunities? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I know. I sometimes feel kind of bad for my kids because I'm always like. Did you just talk about math? And they're like, mom, I'm like, oh, we should do some math. They're like, let's measure that tree. And they're just like, really, mom? Like, we'll be like on a vacation and I'll be like, this is such a great example of this hexagonal shape. And, you know, they're like, you're going to take a picture of that, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> going so- to my book. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, I did try to do a lot of pictures. I worked really hard trying to get a lot of pictures and pictures in different places, especially urban areas, just so I could show people what it could look like. There's yeah. a teacher, Andrew, sent me some pictures of his class studying bridges in New York City, including the wow. bridge. So there's another idea. There's so much with bridges that you can learn yeah. about. There's so much physics. There's so wow. many shapes. There's so much history behind them, usually, you know, they're usually made to connect to places or for, you know, strategic purposes of getting somewhere. And so um, there's just a lot. Wow. I do love that. It is interesting because we've been traveling. We're right in the middle of the season of traveling around the country for homeschool conferences. And we've gone over a lot of bridges and they're all different. And you are, you're always fascinated. What am I driving over? What river is that? What is this? We get some geography, like, you know. Yeah, we were down in Louisiana and and you drive basically on a bridge over these bayous for miles and miles and miles. And there's homes that people can only get to by boat. And we I never seen that. It was so cool. Yeah, what a neat thing Florida to go has study the ones bridges. that go up. Have you seen the ones? Yeah, that like a drawbridge almost? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Yeah, that's a really cool idea too. So just lots and lots and lots of ideas in this book. You go through some sample schedules. So like you talked about at the beginning, you could take one lesson outside, but then you also talk about what it might look like to spend a half a day outside or even the entire day outside, which are probably very eye-opening for teachers or home educators. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So those schedules were kind of more oriented 
for classroom teachers or, or people working with a group, but you can totally modify it. And a lot of homeschoolers will designate like the afternoon to outdoor learning or like forest Fridays, they'll like plan the whole day to be outside on a certain day just to kind of have it in their schedule. So yes, I always advise starting small and working up to it and um, kind of linking with something that you might already be doing. So if you were a teacher and your kids already went out for recess um, to minimize that transition time, I would say bring out your read aloud and do it right there outside um, without going in. Um, So you're extending your time that you're outside and you're you're gaining that transition time that you would have lost by going in, then doing read aloud. We always did read aloud after lunch or independent reading. You could Mm -hmm. also do that. And if you are a homeschooler, you can absolutely do the same thing. Start taking all of your read alouds outside. Start taking your lunch outside. Start Mm -hmm. planning in open-ended outdoor play or a hike, and then add to it. So then once we're doing that, now we can add a lesson outside or an activity like sound boxes for reading, or we're going to go on a neighborhood walk and look for um, examples of, we're going to round all the numbers we see. So if we hmm. you know, round all the numbers we see to the nearest 10, you know, and write them down, and that could be our math activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have your kids, you can change the, you know, little kids can just write down the numbers. The older kids are rounding them, uh, whatever, you can change it up. And then you're extending it. And then, and then maybe you play a game outside, you know, and then if you're with a group, you can have like a closing circle or, you know, that kind of thing and talk about something you're grateful for or uh, a nature sighting and then close the afternoon up that way. So you can kind of build just like you would, you know, planning anything, you break it up into a couple of activities. And um, I do encourage people to have some free play time outside. Um, I think that's really important. And it helps kids engage more in the times they are supposed to focus if they know there are times that they will have for whatever they want. Same thing with manipulatives. When you You've ever given kids like, I don't know, math manipulatives, they just like go crazy, right? They want to play with them. So you need to like build that time into playing with the materials before you kind of like, hey, what about if I put these in 10 frames or whatever you're doing? But, you know. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside 120 
and use code OUTSIDE120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120, code OUTSIDE120. Yeah, it's interesting. Angela Hanscom's got that book, Balanced and Barefoot, which is one of my all time favorites. And she's a pediatric occupational therapist. So she's seeing that, you know, there's this decline of skills on the she's like on the front lines of that seeing that kids are really struggling and that not in all cases but in a lot of cases it really helps if you just build in some outdoor time with them especially if it's social and she has this quote in her book that says something along the lines of we think we know what our kids need but their neurological systems beg to differ that's how she words that part because their bodies also biologically drive them on to learn and to play and to experiment and so i like the idea of giving them that time, you have to build it in because their bodies know how to learn and grow too. And we don't always know exactly where they're at in their process. And I also like the idea of this is multi-age. You could scaffold it toward multi-age. If you had a forest group that had kindergarten to fifth grade, if you're a homeschool family and you've got a bunch of different grades, if you're walking around looking at numbers, yeah, certainly the older kids can round, the younger kids can just even notice if they see a number, what number might that be, all that type of stuff. So it really does facilitate multi-age experiences, which is so important for kids. And parents, it makes our lives easier if you're homeschooling. Everyone usually has, unless you have one child, you will have different ages usually, unless you have one child or twins, right? And so it's important to kind of realize and understand how you could change things to hit all ages. And then I've never been in a classroom either that didn't have a huge range of levels. So Mm. just because you're teaching third grade, you will have a range usually between kindergarten and first grade, all the way up to fifth or sixth if you're in third grade. Like you have kids that are really here, you have kids in the middle and you have kids way down here. And so you kind of need to have that perspective of how you might. And I tried to really put that in the book of how to adjust activities. And, and, you know, the, the the writing is a good example of that, like how to take the writing piece out of the skill if that's tripping up kids. Um, I know my youngest for sure. I want him to be working on the reading skill. He has dyslexia, but he also has dysgraphia. So writing is really taxing as well. And so I need to be very mindful of what skill I'm asking him to do. And if he's having trouble, why, what is the part that's breaking it? And then think about my aim. Am I trying to teach something with a reading here? Then I need to take the writing out. You know, if I'm working writing, then I need to work on the writing and not not stack too many things on top. Isn't that interesting? It's like nature's like a natural scaffolding for skills. And so then nobody's falling through the cracks because if you're outdoors, I think that kids are growing. I mean, just plain as that. If they're outside, there's opportunities for growth. And so whether you have kids that are possibly below grade level, they're at grade level, they're above grade level, that's the safety net. I think that's catching them where they're at and giving them opportunity for their own neurological system to drive them forward and for things to happen that help with their growth above and beyond even just the actual learning outcomes that you're going for. So there's a lot of benefit there. Well, an experience of being outside and seeing things in your neighborhood or things in a natural environment and animals and all of that builds our background knowledge, which is really important to things like reading comprehension. Um, We don't think about that very often, but if you have never seen a river or a big bridge, right, or a cemetery, um, and you had to read a passage about cemeteries, it would be very difficult to comprehend it um, Mm -hmm. if you had no background knowledge in it. Most people at least seen one, right? So you have something, but the more experiences you have with a cemetery or with a river or whatever it may be, you're Mm -hmm. adding to that background knowledge. And you also add, you know, you other ways through reading other things, listening, other life experiences for sure. But when you experience something in real life that adds, and we don't always think about that, like everything that we're observing in the natural world or even in your neighborhood, even in your backyard is adding to our general knowledge and experiences, which 
helps us in all of our skills, just like movement helps us, you know, gross motor and small motor Mm -hmm. happens to impact handwriting and all of these things Mm -hmm. that we're asking kids to do. And so we can't do those things without them first doing those gross motor movements and fine motor things. Yeah. Even just sitting. Yes, even, even sitting. sitting in our chairs. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, for so. sure. I think your book is eye-opening to realize how much can happen simply outdoors in terms of our kids' learning and growth. Let's end with this topic of bringing nature inside because yeah. sometimes that may be the only option or the main option. And there yeah. are so many ideas in here. One of the ones I really liked was having an expert visit. That was one of my favorites. So can we start there and maybe just talk about a few of the other ideas of things that we can do inside before we wrap up? People don't always think about this, but it definitely has become more important, especially recently when the West had a lot of fires in the past couple of years. I got a lot of emails from people and pictures of people doing wild math in their hotel room with their snacks, Mm. you know, whatever they had, because it was literally too dangerous to go out. Um, So we, you know, that does happen Mm -hmm. or you might have a brand new baby and you can only go out a little while. I mean, these things are real life. You don't have to force it. So you can bring the indoors in and that or the outdoors in by bringing in materials. I love to do um, nature collections. Just make sure what you're collecting is legal and plentiful. You can also return those things later on if you want. Mm -hmm. Just borrow them um, and observe them up close. I love doing lots of books and nature guides, especially if there's something that's really interesting to your kids or that you're kind of, if you're doing street trees, you know, have a lot of books about trees. If you're doing birds, which there's a lot of birds in most urban areas. I don't know Mm -hmm. if people realize that. A lot of birds migrate through. New York City is a fabulous place for birds, by the way. Somebody told me, oh, I don't remember who it was, but someone came on the podcast and said that, I don't know, a few times in their lifetime, the snowy owl will come down from Canada and come to New York. And the person who was on, and I can't remember, said that was one of their favorite childhood experiences was she was a kid when it happened one of the times and she got to go visit. And there's this book called What the Robin Knows, which yeah. I really love. And, and in there, there's so much talk about how there are just birds everywhere and what a fun thing to pay attention to yes that's something you can do in your backyard in your schoolyard in a pocket park in the city um mm-hmm. yeah so bringing nature in you were talking about bringing talking to experts yeah you- like you had an idea of bringing in an arborist but then just a second ago then you also talked about sort of the urban planning uh yeah. what trees do they put where and why so one time, this wasn't outside, but you could have them come, or this wasn't inside, it was outside. Our urban forester in our small town, like small city, I live in Ithaca, New York, for reference, it's not that big. We have an urban forest person that is in charge of all the trees, and she knows all of the trees that are in our city, which is just amazing to think about. Like, people are tracking that. And she took us on a little tour of the trees in kind of like in our downtown area, and mm-hmm. you just never would have thought about how purposeful they were planted, how some of them were just really old and were there because of, you know, historic reasons. And it was just kind of mind blowing about how much was going on with trees. And you didn't even know that they're being managed. Like you just think of them as there, but there's like a lot going on. So having people come to your classroom that are experts in that or seeking them out in the community can be a great way. I also like to do a lot with the weather and the Mm -hmm. season. So if you're in a classroom, you can kind of change your morning meeting time to be tracking the weather and integrate a lot of graphing and also tracking like things you wouldn't think of, like colors of flowers kind of change seasonally, if you think about Mm. it. In the spring, we have lots of yellows and whites and pinks. Um, Right now, we have a lot of pink, uh, you know, dandelions Mm -hmm. for Cynthia, daffodils, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the fall, we have lots of like deep Mm -hmm. goldenrod, purple asters, at least in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. There's certain colors that we associate with those seasons. And if you kind of track Mm -hmm. them, I just print out a basic free calendar from online and we just draw them in. And I have an example in the book and we just, every, you could have different kids do it. You could do it as a family and you just draw a picture of the flower on a certain day, whenever you're observing. And you can kind of see over time, if you like 
you know, lay them out together or along the yeah. wall and line, how the colors are changing. And it, it's super interesting and it makes kids really keen observers, which is a important skill. Wow. But that's something you can kind of, you can do that from the window if you have, if you can mm-hmm. see outside where there's flowers or just like in your daily life. Like, did you, what did you notice today? Did you see any flowers? Like just walking in my house, I saw, you know, there's a daffodil outside or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or in pocket that's parks. fascinating. Well, I always talk about how the colors of one particular day guide our bodies. So mm-hmm. that sunrise, there's this really cool passage in a Jacob Lieberman book where he talks about how the morning light it wakes you up. You've got these like just beautiful opening colors, the reds and the, and then it, it gets this bright middle of the day and then it turns to purples and blues and sort of meant to slow your body down at the end of the day. So interesting on a daily basis, but yeah, get to look at on a seasonal basis, how the colors are changing and guiding your body. And that's really fascinating. I love that. Fun, like yeah. short term and long term, you can look at nature's yeah, colors. And it, it takes like a few minutes. Like yeah. I do we just use colored pencils. It's not like, and I'm not an artist for sure, but it's just whatever. And you just, to see the patterns and kind of notice yeah. the patterns and yellows kind of come back, but they're like a deeper yellow in the fall. And, you know, it's just kind wow. of interesting. You can have a lot of discussions about it. Yeah. It's really interesting. And then you talk about just um, having a nature library, the phonology wheel, the calendar of first, the calendar of blooms. When I say this book is robust, there is so much in here. So the information, the pictures, which you just did such a fantastic job of having pictures that open your eyes to, oh, like I saw one I thought was super interesting using the chalk, but it was a concrete wall. And so it was vertical. So you think a chalk is doing it on the ground flat, but this was like a concrete dividing wall or something like that. And maybe it was three feet tall or four feet tall or something. And the kids are using chalk on that. So it's just, it's changing your direction it's changing your fine motor. It's And it's just opening it up to be something that's a little bit different. So the pictures really do a great job of giving you ideas, tons of ideas. How could I do this? How could I implement? And so it's just such a fantastic book. Wild learning, practical ideas to bring teaching outdoors for classroom teachers. It's really great for classroom teachers, but any parent would find ideas in there. Any homeschool parent, any forest school leader, anything that you're doing, you would find great ideas in it. Some parents uh, like to uh, use them to do the homework. So like you, your child gets, you know, addition homework sent home. And instead of doing the worksheet, you could do an addition activity and just snap a picture, send it to your teacher, or just say, we did this, um, write it on the top of the page. We did this outside using chalk. Remember, you're the parent, you can, you can do these things. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too, Rachel. I just, my husband actually sent me this article this morning that was about, um, it says IBM, listen to this, IBM to stop hiring for roles that can be replaced by AI, nearly 8,000 workers to be replaced by automation. So we're heading into a world that's, it already is, it's rapidly changing. And so I think that parents have to follow their own intuition. And so if you get a 10 question worksheet on addition and you go outside and do it with sticks, I do think you have to advocate for your kid and you have to advocate that they're getting that time outside in that movement because that is really what's setting them up for this world that's changing. And your book just gives such a great foundation, but something that you could use throughout the entirety of childhood for different ideas, for different get togethers, for different things that you're involved in. And so that is available now. People can already get that book, Wild Learning Practical Ideas to Bring Teaching Outdoors. And then tell us what you have on your website. Yeah, so on my website, it's kind of like the hub of where you can find out everything that I'm doing. You can check out the wild math curriculum, the wild reading curriculum. I have a blog um, and I do extensive social media where I explain a lot of things like digraphs and um, (laughs) word squares and lattice multiplication and all of these things because I don't really love social media for social media. So I try to use it to be helpful, at least if Mm -hmm. I have to do it. But you can find all of that at discoverwildlearning.com and then the, you know, the hash, the, I don't know, the handle. Yeah. The handle yeah. At discover wild learning. And I'm on Facebook and on Instagram mm-hmm. and the book can be ordered at Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And then there's a couple, I have a whole list of places that you can order the book, including some small shops like yeah. um, nurture and nature and the outdoor learning shop. 
in Canada is like a nonprofit store and they donate all proceeds to furthering outdoor learning, which is kind of fun. And if you're Canada, uh, you know, that's a better shipping option. Yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah, a lot of options. People can find that at discoverwildlearning.com or to find you on social media at Discover Wild Learning, Facebook and Instagram. And there's a lot there. I mean, I will tell you, and it's just, it's one of those things where even sometimes if you just see like social media, a lot of times you just see it randomly and it just pops through here and there and you're like, oh wait, oh wait, Rachel's out there. She's still doing it. (laughs) She's still got those sticks and those rocks and these cool ideas. And it just is that reminder of, I could do this differently a lot right. of the time, possibly right. all of the time. You even start the book with a quote that says, anything you teach in an indoor classroom can be taught outdoors, often in ways that are more enjoyable for children and yes. teachers and parents. Not, and not my quote, but I did, I did use mm-hmm. it. And uh, it's, it's very true. We can always change it up. We don't have to sit and do a homework worksheet or a workbook. If we're a homeschooler, we can change Mm -hmm. it up. I mean, it's fine to do those things. I have certainly done those things with my children um, and my students, but uh, we do have options and it's it's Mm -hmm. fun to, to switch it up a little. Yeah, I love that. And your book also had extensive book lists. I really loved that. Really, really cool book list about all sorts of different topics. So you'd be reading through the book, reading through a chapter, and some of the chapters had more than one book list. So it would be books that encourage kids to get outside into nature, books that encourage to learn about birding. And there was all sorts of ones about having positive attitudes. So there was they were topic specific or attitude specific, but very cool sets of book lists in there. I love book lists. <laughs> I mean, who amongst I do too. teachers or homeschoolers or parents, right? Yeah. So yeah, all of my, I was really, I tried to hold back a little bit in, my, <laughs> in the book too. Um, but my wild math have has, has a book list for every unit. So every topic and every grade. And so does wild Wild reading has a ton of book lists too. Yeah. Um, so I have a little bit of a problem in that area, but I, I do like, cause it just makes it so easy when you're going to the library or whatever, you're looking mm-hmm. for gift ideas to have some. Mm. Well, that's cool. I like that as a gift idea too. Well, and it's interesting to think that there are books out there for everything, some that you've never heard of, and there's books for math. And you have a lot in there about fractions too. I taught high school math, and I think that the hardest transition for kids, where they get tripped up, and then they have this lifelong view of themselves that they're not good at math happens during fractions. So you have a lot in there. If your kids are struggling with fractions, you have like these pie plates and it's separated and you've got stuff in there. So really great ideas for parents to help their kids through fractions. And I think that if a kid can have a solid grasp on that, because it is really hard it is, and really different, you have to grapple with it because you learn your whole childhood that five is bigger than four, but then one fourth is, is bigger than one fifth. So it's, it's very confusing. And very confusing. When you're yeah. learning with whole numbers, it's like adding and subtracting is super easy, but with fractions, adding and subtracting is what's way di- more difficult. So it's just a lot to grapple with there. And so I love that you have so much information for fractions and hands-on things that families can do outside with fractions. It's in the book and also in your curriculum. So, um, okay, Rachel, this has been awesome. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy that we connected a long time ago. I can say I knew you win. And same with you, right? (laughs) It's really cool. Uh, We always end our podcast with the same question. What is a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Oh, I have so many. Um, I think my favorite thing was we would go camping at a state park that had this big creek and um i always loved like in in, this isn't always the greatest thing to do but we i would make like dams to make like swimming holes little i mean they were not deep but i thought they were you know probably like knee deep right but Mm -hmm. it was fun and i i would do that for hours um and yeah, so wow. one of my, I have so many, but learning um, your physics right there, right? Yes. And I, you know, it all came very handy when I was in watershed hydrology in college. I had that picture of like how water runs through 
streams wow. and at different speeds. I was like, I can visualize that. Yep. See, it comes wow. in. Wow. It's learning. It counts as learning. Background knowledge. There you go. Watershed hydrology. That is so cool. I've literally never heard of that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. So thrilled to have read your book. Really, I got so much out of it. And it's one of those ones that's worth the money because it is filled to the brim with ideas and book lists and pictures and things that will change childhood for your students, for your kids, and for you as the adult. Well, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed talking to you and reconnecting for sure. Yeah. Um, that's, that's it. <laughs> I, well, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to call this one. Cemeteries are so overlooked for learning opportunities. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you should. Because it's like one little part in the book. That might give the wrong it is. But if you write another book, you could call it that. That would maybe be a I good could. title. Or Cemeteries are... <laughs> I've thought about doing like a unit, like with some go. There you go. Well, no. Rachel, thanks for being here. And, uh, and well, I'm sure we'll connect soon. Yes. Thank you so much, Jenny. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.